Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Good morning and welcome in. Words have life, right? That's the amazing thing is we were singing that and like Shay prayed, I, I don't always feel that way. I don't always feel that God is good. I know that he is, but I don't always feel that way. But man, when you start singing and you start, you start reflecting on what these words really are and what they mean, I, I just re- am reminded of the life that words have. And so I'm so encouraged by that. So thank you, Gary and Jessica and Travion and Shay Shay for leading us in worship. Y'all are awesome. Yeah, and thank you, Jess. Jess has got her sister's, is the, the wedding's not today, is it, Jess? Thursday, it's their, the dress rehearsals today, so she's got to run out. So thank you, Jess, for being here this morning in spite of a busy day. You're amazing. Behind the screen. Welcome to the vessel. If I don't know you, my name is Jake Toman. I serve as the lead pastor here, uh, and I have the greatest and most fun job in the world. I'm a super ADD person. And man, being in ministry uh, scratches that ADD itch for me because never two weeks are never the same. And so I do love that. So if you're, if you're a person that likes rhythm and routine, man, ministry might be hard, but I love what I get to do. And I'm so grateful for this church and to be a part. And so as, as our church, um, the vessel, our, our, our mission is that we are called to be vessels of the living Christ set apart for his purpose and his kingdom. And I'm so grateful for that to be true about us and not just me, but us together. We started last week in a series that we're gonna be doing called Dear Church. Um, and, and it's a series that we're gonna come back to multiple times this year. And all it is, is it's, it's looking at the letters of the New Testament. I don't know, I mentioned this last week, but 21 of the 27 books of the New Testament are epistles or letters to, from a person to another person, from a person to a group of people, that is written by man, but divine and pinned by the Holy Spirit. And so that's really our heart, is that we're gonna read several times through different letters, and we are currently in Philippians. So today we're gonna be talking about Philippians chapter two. And so I encourage you last week, and I'll encourage you this week, and you'll be encouraged and challenged the next few weeks as well to engage with God's word, is that... Um, his, his word, scripture says that his word is sharper than any double-edged sword that's alive and that his word is God-breathed. And so I wanna encourage you to engage. And so like our women's Bible study is studying Philippians. Um, my, the, the small group that I am in, we're doing Philippians. Is anyone, I wanna, yeah, it's just, this is gonna be interaction. You can just raise your hand. Is anyone engaged with the book of Philippians over the past couple weeks? Has anyone got an opportunity? You can raise them high. Okay, so what is one thing you feel like God's revealed to you during your time in his word? Yeah, community is necessary, amen. Man, that is so good, and that's what we're talking about this morning, Jess. What else, what has God shown you through just engaging with his word for those of you that have had the opportunity? Unity, yeah, amen. Again, we're talking about unity today what it means to be unified. That's one of our core values here at The Vessel. Yeah, what tr- yeah, amen. What it l- truly looks like to love one another. Yeah, praise God. What else? Yeah, so good. Our faith can survive difficult circumstances, even circumstances in a jail cell, right? Even to the point of death. 
What else? One more thing. Joy. Yeah, that's the, like I said last week, that's the secret sauce of the book of Philippians. And you're going to see it again here too in chapter two as we dive in, that joy comes back again and again. And so last week we were, we looked through Philippians one and we're going to do the same thing we did last week. Last week we read the entire chapter. Today we're going to read the entire chapter of Philippians chapter two. So uh, the, the, the scripture is not going to be on the screen, although it, it typically is. And so I encourage you to get out your own copy of scripture if it's on your phone. We have a few Bibles back over here at our guest services uh, table. And so if you want to grab one of those, you can grab one of those. Or maybe we don't. Okay. Did we not get Bibles out? That's my bad. Okay. Yeah, no Bibles. Never mind. You can look over a neighbor, uh, a neighbor's shoulder. And I'm going to read them. So we're all good. So uh, we're to, we talked last week about Philippians chapter one, and we introduced this concept of joy and that being the key secret sauce ingredient in this book. And again and again and again, you know it, it's real. True joy only comes from God. Uh, Paul started with Thanksgiving. He thanked God for the church, just like he starts every letter that he was written. Um, he talked, as Jana mentioned, about the circumstances he found himself in. He's in a jail cell. He's in a Roman prison right into this church uh, in Philippi. Um, we, we looked a little bit about um, what it looks like and why unity is so important. And he closes kind of chapter one with this idea of unity and us being called to be unified as a body of Christ. And so as we get into chapter two, one thing I want us to think about and consider and kind of be um, at the forefront of our mind this morning as we look through God's word is what it means for a letter to be written to a group of people. If you remember last week, uh, I read a letter, a love letter that was written from me to my beautiful bride, Shay Shay, and admittedly, I did not hold it together. I was really surprised with that. I did not emotionally hold it together very well. Uh, but this, this today I am. And don't worry, we're not reading a love letter. Um, I've made that mistake one time and I won't do it again. So, but when we read that letter last week, it was a letter written from one person to another, right? And you're, you're, you're reading someone's mail. But the book of Philippians and the letter is written from someone to a group of people. And a letter that is written to a group of people reads differently than just a letter written from one person to another. So when we read scripture, we have a tendency to put ourselves in the story, right? If you, if you read David and Goliath, no one's ever Goliath. No one ever identifies with Goliath. Everyone's always David, right? You're always like, oh, that's me. I get it. I understand David. I got my stone or whatever. It is. And so we always put ourselves like God is writing to us, which is really good and really healthy. When you read scripture, you should read it that way. It's God's word. It's his truth. It's being spoken to us, but it's not only written to us. It's, it's not only written to me individually. It's also written to us collectively. And so that's one thing I want us to really focus on this morning is what is Paul and in hand, what is the Holy Spirit writing to his church, to us collectively as a body? And so I'm going to read a letter. You can put it back up there now. I saw you took it down when people's... All right, you probably can't read this, but it's okay. I'm going to read it. This is a letter. It's written from the elders of our church here at the vessel to the body of, this, of the vessel, this church. And this is a letter that's actually going out and going in the mail this week. It's going to be put in an envelope there's gonna be a stamp on it and it's coming to some of your homes. So I wanna give you a little caveat about this letter. This letter is a follow-up to a previous letter that we wrote um, in, at the end of November, beginning of December, when we were talking about uh, giving and tithes and offerings to the body. And so 
Um, we, 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 we take tithes and offerings on Sunday mornings, but not traditionally. We don't, we don't pass a basket or a plate or have a time. And sometimes we'll pray over God's provision for our church, but we have boxes in the back. And so it's not something we talk about a lot. And so this past year, as difficult as, as 2020 was with COVID and all the challenges that came, that we at the vessel and our elders, we began to see changes in, in people's participation through the ministry of giving. And so we sent a letter to the body. And so that was tricky first and foremost because we didn't know who the body was, right? Like here at the vessel, we don't have membership. We don't have a membership class. You don't sign up. There's nowhere you check a box that says, this is my home. So basically that means that the body is me trying to discern, are they visitors? Are they coming just for a season? Is this their church home? What does that look like? And trying to decide where people are. And so if you didn't get a letter this fall, uh, that doesn't mean either you were new, either we weren't sure, either we didn't have your address. We had some that were returned to us because of the wrong address or whatever reason it was. And so this is a follow-up to that letter. So I'm gonna read this. And so if, if you don't call the vessel your home, uh, that's okay. This is a good for you to see what it looks like for a letter to be written from someone to a group of people, because this is written to a collective group. And I want you to, as we read this, don't think so much about the content specifically to us in it, but what is this letter communicating on a bigger picture? What do you notice? So I'm going to read through it. It says, Dear Vessel family, at the end of 2020, we all received a letter from the Vessel Board of Directors reminding us what it means to be a collective and challenging us as the body to consider how we participate in the ministry of the Vessel Collective Church through the giving of tithes and offerings. The directive was simple and a biblical call for everyone who is part of the vessel to live generously in light of the instruction that Paul gives in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It is our joy and honor to report back to you on the faithfulness and generosity of this church for the sake of Jesus Christ, exclamation point. The vessel stepped up in a significant way and the Lord provided for his bride through the generosity of her people. Thank you. We cannot tell you enough what a privilege it is to be able to lead such a passionate and authentic group of Christ followers. In Acts, we see the disciples in the midst of being faced with significant adversity report that, quote, we can't help speaking about what we have seen and heard, Acts 4.20. In that same spirit, we would like to share just a bit with you about quote, what we have seen and heard through your generosity in response to that letter. And then we have a few bullet points. It says, we saw multiple families that began giving for the first time. Second, we saw the largest number of individuals giving than ever before. Third, we saw a huge wave of generosity to end the year with one of our strongest months. Fourth, we saw the total amount given to missions in 2020 finish at over $25,000 in addition to the special COVID benevolence fund of $10,000. As mentioned before, the way we have tithes and offerings set up gives us the ability to see statistics, but not access to names and amounts. While numbers don't tell the whole story, they do testify to the goodness of our God to provide and the faithfulness of his people to play a part in that provision. We, as your elders, wanted to share just a small snapshot of the kingdom work that we see happening through our church and the miraculous provision of the king that we serve. Keep raising the flag of generosity and making Jesus known in every corner of our community and the world. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called when 
when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Sincerely, the Elder Board Vessel Collective Church. Amen, right? Praise God. So as you, as you uh, read that or hear, read that, I know that, that text is small. What are some things you notice about seeing a letter that was written to a group of people and about this letter in particular? Yeah, we came together, right? That there was a call. At some level, there was a call for us to be united and to do something, and we came together. So if you're an outsider reading that 2,000 years from today, you can read that. Even though if you don't understand the context of COVID and the year that was 2020 and, and what's going on here at the vessel, even if you don't know anything about this church, you know that. You know, a group of people came together. That's good. What else? Yeah, it's a general call. It's not written specifically to a person. Uh, there's not inside uh, language or jokes or anything like that, that it's written to a broad group of people. Yeah, perfect. What else? Yeah. Yeah, you see joy in the leadership. You see God working through the body, right? Even if we were reading this about a church that was in Timbuktu, about the, what, what the Lord was doing at their church, we could see those same things. As a Christ follower, as a body of believers, we could celebrate that joy and be reminded of the goodness and faithfulness of God. What else? We, we reference things from the previous letter, right? We know you could read this and understand that this is a follow-up. We specifically say that you received a letter this past fall. In addition, we talk about tithes and offerings and said, as mentioned before, we can't see. And so we, the way we have that set up in our system is that none of our leadership, no one can see who is giving what. It's just statistics. And so you see that's referenced as being spoken of before. And so as the reason I read this and the reason I kind of sought this out is I wanted another example for us as to why letters are important and how we read them. And so as we get into Philippians chapter two, I want you to keep that context in mind. Remember, you're reading a letter that was written thousands of years ago from a person to a group of people. There are circumstances, there are situations, there's a context in their community. There's a context potentially globally. There's, there's, a, there's political undertones. There's all sorts of things that are happening that we don't exactly get to see or have firsthand knowledge of, but we can understand as a reader. And so that's what I really want us to think about today is what does it mean to be united? So I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna jump in to Philippians chapter two. Dear Lord, thank you so much for uh, your word, God. Thank you for... Um, Philippians chapter two. God, thank you that your word is alive and active. God, that we can read something that was written 2,000 years ago and it could cut us to our heart. God, that it can share a truth about a love that's so powerful, it can overcome anything. God, that's a love and a gift of deliverance. It's a love and a gift of life. It's a love and a gift of freedom. God, I just pray for that this morning. I pray that your word cut deep and cut deep into us collectively, Jesus. Not just our own circumstance, not just our own lives and our own world, but our world together. God, to realize the calling as a body is powerful and significant. So Jesus, just speak powerfully now. And let your word be alive. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So read in Philippians chapter two, and, and uh, in the spirit of a letter, 
when Paul wrote the letter to the church in Philippi, he didn't write chapter breaks and uh, verse numbers and that sort of thing. We, we've added that. And so although we're starting in chapter two, don't think about chapter one as being the end. Think about it being a continuation. So as we get into chapter one, I wanna kind of take a little bit of a run and start because it does, as Gary mentioned, it continues this idea of unity. Chapter one closes on the unity and, and Philippians 1.27 says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves, plural, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And so to get that running start, this this theme and this idea and this word of unity carrying through, Paul then writes this. He says, therefore, what is therefore for? It's therefore, therefore is therefore because of what was there before. I just made that up on the spot. It's like green eggs and ham. Because of what he said, therefore, because of that truth of unity, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, is that anyone in this room? Does anyone have encouragement from being united with Christ? That's when you say amen. If you have any encouragement in being united with Christ, amen, me too. If any comfort from his love, amen. Any common sharing in the spirit, yes, amen any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Paul starts carrying on this, this idea of unity and, and he carries it into, and he introduces this concept of humility. And so our first thing we're gonna look at is, is, what is what's, why is humility and numbers matter? And again, we've gotta keep in mind that he's writing this to us, not me. And he is writing it to me, but he's writing it to us collective. And so this first concept, Paul introduces humility in numbers. And so notice the plurality of his writing here. Uh, He says this, beginning in verse three, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others, plural, other people, better than yourselves, plural, group of people. Looking not to your own interests, plural, but but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as that of Jesus Christ. And so there's this plurality to this, this what he's talking about. And so as we, as we talked about and closed with unity, uh, many of you know that unity is one of our core values. Of our four core values, unity is one of them. Another core value is what? Humility, right? Those are two of our four core values. And so we have a tendency to think that, okay, unity is this thing, and we put it in this box, and then... Um, uh, authenticity is this, and it looks like this. We put it in this box. Generosity means these things. I check them off the box, and then 
humility looks like this. But, but the truth is, is those things work together and they breed, out, we, they breed out of one another. And so what Paul is saying is that out of our, out of our unity breeds true humility. Breeds true humility. So look at, the, look at what he says here. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Is ambition bad? Is it bad to be ambitious? No. Ambitious, to be ambitious is not a bad or a negative thing. But what does it look like to, be, to have selfish ambition? If we're to be ambitious for everything, if we're to be ambitious about anything, it's for the sake of Jesus Christ. It's for the sake of the kingdom. We live in a world of self-promotion like never before. Amen? If you have a phone and you have time, you can download Instagram for free, and I'm convinced that you can, if you have time, you can become an influencer. I don't know what an influencer is, but someone that puts a lot of time and energy and effort into whatever social media account they have. And you can be this person that is of such self-interest and self-promotion. And we see selfish ambition alive and active in our world. And it's not something that we, not that we should shame people that are on social media. I don't mean that, but it's not something that we see as a negative thing. It's something we see as positive. But scripture talks about selfish ambition. Selfish ambition and humility do not mix. You can't be a humble person and be a self-promoting person. And there's temptation of that in the church as we as the bride. And coming into ministry, people are like, oh, you gotta get active on social media and you gotta share pictures and you gotta promote yourself that way people know. And I thought, oh, I do. And then I think, I hate doing that. I hate social media. I, want, I just wanna post pictures of my kids or whatever, you know. And so, so we're in a place of self-promotion. The second thing he says, he says, vain conceit. This is literally translated as empty glory, empty glory. And it's probably better translated as empty glory. Glory in itself is not bad, amen? But glory belongs to one and one alone, and that is Christ, is that he is to get the glory, right? We sing, we, we sing these worship songs, every praise is to our God, every word of worship of one accord. God, to be, to be united around glory coming to Christ. And so when I, when I read this letter, um, I was really intentional about how we wrote this letter. What I didn't want this to be is a thank you note for giving. I didn't want this to be is that, that we, we use language in this letter to talk about the Lord provided for his bride through the generosity of her people. Even when we do something for the sake of the kingdom, the glory does not come to us. The glory goes to God and God alone. And it says, others above yourself, right? And humility, value others above yourself. This is completely and totally countercultural to the world we live in. And you begin to see when scripture goes against the grain of society and culture to value others above yourself. And then it goes into, it, it, many times in the scripture, I want you to look at and think about is how to engage your mind. In, our, in the Wednesday Wisdom this past week, I talked about the heart and the mind working as one. And so when we look at scripture, scripture tells us a lot about how and why we, we engage our mind. And so look at the scripture here and why it talks that this is truly a mind game. When we think about humility and we think about unity and these values, that truly it's a mental thing. And on some level, on some point, it's a decision that we make. It's a decision that we make. It says this up in the scripture. It says, uh, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit and being of one mind. Down in verse five, it says, have the same mindset of Christ. And so truly, 
truly, when we think about the value of humility, it's a mind game. And on some level, it's just a decision that we make. We decide that we're going to give glory to God. We decide that we're not going to take glory and we're going to, we're going to squash our pride. And we have to decide that and engage mentally with that, what that looks like. And then scripture, Paul goes on to the perfect example of what humility is. He talks about the humility of Christ and he shares the gospel and he says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ who being the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking on the very nature, nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, the good news of the gospel, the story of the gospel is a story of humility. That truly what the Lord did is the perfect example of humility. He went from the highest high to the lowest of low. He lowered himself, considering himself like Shane and I were talking about this and she's doing the Wednesday wisdom. She recorded it this past week uh, for Philippians chapter two. And she's talking about the language that's used here. And so I'm stealing it from her. And actually she didn't create it. She stole it from Joe. She went to Joe's small group and Joe talked about this. And so she stole it from him. I'm stealing it from her so you can steal it from me. So it's this idea of like, when you read this scripture, what are these words that stand out to you? And the words like nothing and words like servitude or being a slave or being a servant of Christ. No one wants to be called those things. No one wants to say, I'm nothing, right? No one, if I, if I looked at Gary God, I said, you are nothing. That's mean. You're not nothing, you're something. I don't know what, but you're something. If I looked at Ryan, I said, Ryan, you're a slave. You're a servant. That's mean, right? It's not valuing or uplifting one another, but that's a very mindset of Christ that he saw himself as nothing. He saw himself as a servant and he went from a place of being equal of God that he is being the very nature of God, God himself. And he humbled himself to become a man from the highest of high to the lowest of lows to going to death, even being obedient to death on a cross. And that's the gospel story. You see, the story that we share the gospel is a story of love. It's a story of love. It's that God loved us so much that he gave it all up for you. And if you want to share the gospel with somebody, if you want to tell someone the truth about Jesus Christ, you tell them about the love that God has for them, that that's how much he loves you, you. And you can take all the plurality out of it and you, God loves you so much that he humbled himself to be nothing, to be a servant, even to the obedience enough to to death and death on the cross. He died a criminal's death for you because he loves you. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, know that that's the value that you have. That's a love that Jesus has for you. So we see this idea of humility and numbers. And so Paul continues in verse 12. He says this, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you and will act, uh, works in you and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be made, made blameless and pure children of God 
without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firm to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even as I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you so that you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And so as Paul introduces this idea of humility, he shifts and he talks about that which divides. And so the second thing I want us to look at is the division of individualism. The division of individualism. We live in a world where individualism and who we are, and like I've seen this this hashtag or this phrase, like live your own truth. Live your own truth. Whatever it is, whatever truth is for you, whatever you want to be, you can live your own truth. I think, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to live your own truth? It's not saying to live out truth. It's to live your own truth. It doesn't matter what is truly true. It's what you think is true. We live in this world where everything is individualistic. It's what we think about, what we want to feel, how we want to live. And if anything challenges that, rather than us taking a self-examination and humbling ourselves, we think that must be wrong and I'm going to live my own truth. And so, so Paul points here to the division that is individualism. And so and, and, and during World War II, um, London was under, in the 1940s, London was on the verge of being attacked and they knew it was inevitable. And so London began having blackouts at night. And so during the 40s, they had the, the, the London blackouts during World War II. And I was reading about this week and they did this to minimize outdoor light so they couldn't be seen by enemy aircraft. And they had maps and radars and all that sort of stuff, but not to the technology today. And if you could not see your enemy, you could not bomb your enemy. So the entire city of London all of London, they blacked it out. Not a single light, not a single candle. And they say that even the, the strike of a match in pure darkness can be seen for, by over 30 miles away. So a single candle can be seen by over 30 miles away in pure darkness. And I was reading about this, and this guy named Robert Mackey wrote this, this book called Half the Battle. It was about London during World War II. And he wrote this about the blackouts. He said, blackouts proved one of the more unpleasant aspects of war, disrupting many civilian activities and causing widespread grumbling and lower morale. This is literally the same thing that Paul is talking about here, causing widespread grumbling. In verse 14, he says, do nothing without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. That's amazing. And if we don't realize we are living in a dark world, the world around us is broken and is dark. And if, you're, if you don't see that, then you haven't, you didn't, you've been in a coma the past 18 months. So there's so much darkness around us. And look at what it says. It says, you, plural, collectively, as a body, you, plural, will shine like stars, plural, in a dark world. Matthew 5, Jesus says it like this. He says, you are a light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp and light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. This is what Jesus is saying about us, his people, is that we are light of the world. 
that his spirit in us is alive and active. And when we, when we struggle and we begin to divide and, and fall into individualism, it splits those things up and it puts out that light. And meanwhile, rather than being a lie of the world, we're, we're, we spend our time grumbling and arguing. We grumble. We think, I don't like that song. I don't want to serve in vessel kids. I don't like kids. I don't want to get there early. I don't feel comfortable talking about Jesus with my neighbor. I don't like them. They're different than me, right? And we just grumble and grumble and grumble. Every one of those sentences began with what? I, individualism. I don't like this. I don't want to do that. This makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to share my faith with someone. That's for me and not for anyone else. We grumble and we complain. The scripture truly says to murmur. You know what murmur, if you're, if you're in, you know, a child, you know what the word murmur means because by the word you do, it's murmur, it's muttering, it's complaining, it's grumbling. We spend our time grumbling or we argue. We, are, we create arguments that are over nothing, that have no impact, that have no significance. If you've been in marriage, you know that. Shay and I, we get in arguments. I'm like, this is dumb. One time we got in this big argument over chili. Seriously, chili. I'm like, Texas chili doesn't have beans in it. And she, she's like, this is Texas chili. See, we're about to start, we're about to start arguing. Like, Texas chili doesn't have beans in it. She's like, yes, it does. I put beans in my chili. And I'm over there on Google. Does Texas chili have beans? I'm like, boom, no beans. And we're like arguing about the dumbest things that mean nothing. And we spend our time arguing. And what it does is it divides us. And man, it is so true in church and in ministry. I'll share a few of them with you in my experience in ministry. And I checked. None of this is no one in this room. So don't worry. There's no one, not just I checked this morning, but this, these are things that I've heard in my time in ministry. One, one year in 2015, when we moved into Robertson Elementary, where we first met for service, we had the great yellow wall argument of 2015. We argued about the yellow walls of Robertson Elementary and where we gather on Sunday morning. Kay's laughing because she works here. She worked at Robertson. And I'm like, are we really arguing over the colors of the wall? What do you want us to do? We can't paint them. It's an elementary school. They're not our walls to paint. But we argued about it. In 2016, we had, I had the great, I don't want to work with this person debate. There are two people working on something and they don't want to work together. And they're arguing. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, <laughs> you, you got to do it. And we argue about silly things like that. I don't want to work with this person. I don't like that. And then in 2018, and Tony Roberts may laugh at this, we had the great Easter graphic debate uh, where people argued over the color of the Easter graphic for Easter services. I know, it was brown, and people didn't like brown, but then the marketing team, they chose it, and they designed it. And I was like, are we really arguing over the color of a little piece of paper that's going to go in a chair? But we do this. We do this. We argue over nothing. And what we end up doing is we get into these debates, and some of them are funny and laughable and insignificant. And I can say that because every one of us has done it. Every one of us has had a strong opinion about an Easter graphic. But the truth is, is there's bigger things, or at least that we think they're bigger things. And what we allow them to do is divide the body. And this is simple mathematics. This is simple math. Is that multiplication is a biblical concept. Man, if we are to, if every one of us in this room would lay down our life and take up of our cross and go after those people around us that don't know Jesus, not to convince them that they're wrong, not to tell them that they're going to hell, but to show them the love of Christ, this would double. The impact would double. That's multiplication. And the Lord would double and multiply the impact of what 
we're doing for his sake and his kingdom if we would only be faithful to that rather than grumbling or rather than arguing. But the sad thing is the truth goes the, truth goes the other way, is that division is also a biblical concept. Is that churches divide, people divide, brother and brother, brother and sister divide over silly things. I was reading a book this week that talked about churches. It was, I was reading an article about churches coming together and, and two churches coming together to, to do something together. And, and this one testimony shared about how th- these two churches that came together to work together in the community, that neither one of them had seen a baptism in 10 years, is that they came together and the first year that they were doing ministry together, they had 10 baptisms. And praise God, that's multiplication. But the same thing is, is we see churches divide and bodies divide over silliness. And if you've been in church and at any extent of time, you've got some pain and it's a pain of division. And it's over us dividing over silly things. And so Paul says here, and he writes to the people for them not to divide over these things, not to grumble and argue and let, the, let individualism divide the body, to, but to be united. And the last thing is this, as we see, is that people unite people that we are united by one another. Beginning in verse 19, it says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I, I love this piece of scripture. When I started reading Philippians chapter two, this is the one, as I was thinking through, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to think. And as I started reading through, the more I read, the more I love this piece of scripture. It's so sweet. And it's a picture that we get into them. Sorry. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare for everyone looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ, but that you, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him to you soon, and I will see how things go with me. I'm confident in the Lord that I myself uh, will come soon. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, that poor guy's name, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier who is, in your, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and is in distress because you have heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and he almost died, but God had mercy on him and not on, not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome, so then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. And so he gives a sweet part in this letter where he writes about two people individually. He talks about Timothy and he talks about Epaphroditus and about them being from this body. And so I wanna, in in lieu of, of looking at this idea, I want us to look at how people unite people. And this is where we get down to not the individualism, but about the role that we play. And so let's look at Timothy first. Timothy, Paul says this in verse 20. He says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. And the truth is this, is that if you don't know the love of Christ, it takes someone to show you. 
If you don't know the love of Jesus Christ, it takes someone to show you. You can come on a Sunday morning. I can preach at you. I can invite you. We can do an altar call and an invitation for you to accept Christ. But the truth is that most of our stories come from someone else sharing the love of Christ with us. And man, coming to church and sharing the gospel and doing what we're doing is important and it matters. But truly, it takes someone to show you. And and so nearly everyone's story begins with another person that showed what Paul says here in Timothy, genuine concern for your welfare. I'm in a men's group uh, and we meet on Wednesday nights, uh, discipleship group. And um, right now, as we start out this semester, we kind of start off focusing a lot on our testimonies, who we are, where we've been, what God's been in our life, how we've come to know Jesus, the journey that we've been on. And so this past week, uh, Corey Craig shared his testimony. And it was really sweet because it was, it was something that I think a lot of us relate with. But he talked about as a kid, as a teenager, going to church and being in church. And um, he would always go into these, these kind of youth atmospheres. And you know how youth ministry is sometimes. They turn the lights down. They turn the smoke up. They strike the cord. They talk real slow. If you just come right now, right down the aisle now, and then you're looking up, do it me? Like I've got to, and you, there, there's not, not an intentional manipulation in, but we get in this place where, we, where we, we prey on people's emotions to get them to move. And so, so Corey, like most teenagers, was kind of like, okay, this is interesting. But then he had a guy that entered his life, and there was his student ministry leader when he's in high school, a guy named Dean Ryan. He said, man, but Dean was different. He says, because Dean genuinely cared about me. I never felt manipulated. I never felt like a pawn. I mattered to Dean, and he truly showed genuine concern for who I was and where I was when it came to Jesus. And man, that's what did it for Corey. It was one person being faithful to share the love of Jesus Christ with someone else, to give them genuine concern for who they are. And, And that's powerful. That's every one of our stories. And so funny enough, I want you to know, man, if there is, like we talked about, like I told Corey, it's like, man, you got to find this guy. You got to look him up however many years, 20 years later, and you got to tell him the impact that he made in your life. And how cool is it that we get to be a part of someone's story and that there could be someone out there that's telling the same story about your faithfulness and what God did through your obedience to share the love of Christ is that people unite people. Epaphroditus, verse 25 says, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. You see, Paul was in a prison cell, and it's not like a prison today. He didn't get, you know, two meals a day and a comfortable bed and time in the rec yard. This is, a, this is a Roman jail where he's chained up. And if no one brings him money, if no one brings him food, he dies of starvation. They don't feed you. You're in chains. And so what the church in Philippi did and how they got to this point is they sent this man on this journey, a multiple week and day journey to go and bring a gift to Paul in prison. He brings him money. He brings him supplies. He meets his needs. And this is Paul's response He sent this letter back with this man. And so the truth is, is that sometimes the smallest things have the greatest impact for the kingdom. The smallest things have the greatest impact for the kingdom. And Epaphroditus, this guy, he was nothing but a delivery boy. They said, we need someone to take a gift to Paul. We need someone to go. And he said, I'll go. 
I can do that. He was humble and a lowly job. And I see this all the time at our church. I see people willing to do the small things, willing to do uh, the, the not glamorous acts of setting out a chair, being here on Sunday morning and serving back in Vessel Kids, doing the little things, serving on our finance team. And that is terrible to me to serve on a finance team. But I see people do it. But man, think about the small things that matter. Does anyone like UFC? Me neither. Oh, yeah, there we go, Jacob. Thank you for not making me alone. So last night was UFC 259. Anyone watch it? No. Okay, only me stayed up till one o'clock to watch it. It was awesome. So one thing I love about the UFC and one thing I've learned about fighting is there are the glamorous shots, man, like the, the strike across the bow, you know, the, the big knockout blow, but it's the little things that get them there. And what I, one thing I love is they, they, they have these lower leg kicks, man. They just hammer these guys in the legs. There's one after another, after another, after another. And these poor guys, they, they get to a point where they can't stand on that leg anymore. And it's the little things. It's chopping away at the kid for the kingdom that makes the greatest impacts. And we can think, man, like give him a microphone and he can go preach or someone can sing a song, but who cares about the person that sits out in the chair? And it's those little things that just chop away and that have the greatest kingdom impact. And we've got to see it as that way. And I love what Paul calls him here. He says he calls him a brother. He calls him a coworker and he calls him a fellow soldier. Man, I love that. I love how he sees this man. It was, just a, it was just delivering a message. It was just doing a duty that literally put his life on the line for the sake of Paul's life. Paul was dying and going to die of starvation in a jail cell. And this man left and put his life on the line, literally. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. And that's what this man did. And it wasn't glamorous. He didn't dive out in front of the bullet, but he went and he traveled. And scripture literally tells him that he was ill. He, he almost died. He got sickness on this journey. And this man almost died for the sake of Paul. And that's what it looks like for people to unite people. So as we close, I wanna pray for us. And I wanna pray for you. And I just wanna encourage you, church, to think about who God's calling us to be. And how do we as a body make that decision? Make a decision to do that. When we read this letter to realize, and that this is, that we get to be a part of something greater than us, bigger than us, and what God's doing. And P.S., if you want this letter, if you didn't get the first one, you want this letter, you can email me, jake at vessel.church. I will send you, and if you didn't get the first letter, I will send you the first letter, and I will send you this one so you know what's, what, what this is for. Just a sidebar. But I want to encourage you that. I want to encourage you about what it looks like for us to say and hold unity and humility at the highest values. To fight against the temptation what the world gives us of individualism. To be a part of something greater. And remind us that people connect people. So if you would, stand with me. I'm going to pray for us to close. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.